In the ring with Eusebius Merkaiser. Eusebius Merkaiser. So obviously you know by now that it is anti-racism week and each day this week I am doing anything between 5 and 15 minutes nuggets as I think of them contributions towards anti-racism week. And the idea is really just to either lift to the surface an important thought that is not new but which needs to be re-inscribed into the public space or to provoke a thought in you that might be new for you because we have different levels of literacy when it comes to understanding the nature, the scope, the reality of racism, how it manifests, whether the problem is an urgent problem still to be solved for and what that solution space might look for look like and we do not have consensus on any of these fundamental questions we don't even have consensus on what the definition of racism is for that matter so uh, sadly I, I i really wish this conversation would go out of fashion because that would mean that we have achieved racial justice but we haven't and so the need to continue the work is ever present on monday you will know that i focused on the questions are all white people racist do all white people benefit from anti-black racism? And the answer is no and yes, respectively. If you want to understand why those are the answers for me, then you have to go and have a listen at that 10-minute clip. It lives in the ecosystem of In the Ring with Eusebius MacKaiser. Then yesterday, I read from a beautiful book, Eloquent Rage, and it really is an important discussion that is opened up about black feminism and understanding that although anti-black racism is a massive battle that we continue to fight, that we are not single issue human beings in terms of what matters to us and in terms of how we fold ourselves, um, you know, unfold ourselves onto the world. The reality is that you are raced, gendered, that you come with other traits that you have not elected to be significant, but which the world, for better or worse, imbues with social meaning. That can be geopolitical, where in the world you happen to be born, can be linguistic, fluency in English in many contexts can be a source of unearned privilege, for example. And obviously, it can also be class-based. If, if you are working class or born into circumstances of relative deprivation, living under conditions of extreme poverty, then that can also subject you to structural injustices. And so yesterday's 13-minute entry in this daily series this week was to draw our attention to the reality that yes, of course, we must fight white supremacy and that we sadly are also burdened with simultaneously paying attention to how racism intersects with patriarchy and other sources of oppression. So for today's entry, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to answer a question that I ended Monday with, which is to say, assuming you're a white person listening to me right now, and that you recognize that you are an unjust beneficiary of racism, even if you're not directly responsible for the system, what happens next? 
That is the question. And it's an enormous question that you and I need to have a long, direct, live conversation about. Maybe we can have it on either, either a Twitter Spaces conversation or alternatively, good old Instagram Live. But for now, I just want to raise a couple of points and leave these with you to think through, to get annoyed by, to be provoked by, to think through, to take to the dinner table, to take to the water cooler tomorrow and to puzzle through them for yourself. You don't have to agree with me, but I do spend a lot of time reading race experts. I've tried to become an expert on racism myself. I've written about racism for many, many years. I can't even remember the first year I had a book out on racism, a bunch in my bathroom, which was at least one-third a collection of essays on race. That is now a good must be a good seven, eight years ago already. So I think I know a thing or two about racism, and I've devoted some time to this. So hopefully my thoughts are useful to you. Whether you agree or not is up to you. You don't have, this is not an echo chamber. So, number one, you have to be aware of your privileges. But it's not good enough to be aware. And that's the most important thing that I want to say. Many people think that the work ends with an acknowledgement of unearned privileges. But if it ended with an acknowledgement of unearned privileges, then we won't change the world. What are you doing with your acknowledgement? That is the beginning of activism, not the end of activism. That's the beginning of a pathway to racial justice, not the end of that journey. And so I want to challenge you by suggesting that it's too low a standard to set for yourself, to set for your friends, to merely, quote-unquote, acknowledge your privilege. The same goes for patriarchy. The same goes for heteronormativity. Merely acknowledging that you are an unearned beneficiary of the patriarchy is not good enough. The real work starts when you answer, which brings me to the second point, this question, what specific practical contribution are you going to make from tomorrow to smash racism, to smash patriarchy? That is the question, and you can pause here before continuing with this little nugget. That is the question that you have to lose sleep over. Because quite frankly, it's not an achievement to acknowledge your white privilege. Just as if you are male, it really isn't an achievement to say, Hi, my name is Eusebius, and although I did not initiate the social history of patriarchy, I am an unearned beneficiary of the patriarchy. Okay, so what? Do you want a round of applause for stating something that's trite? It really, really is not particularly profound to see that you are licensed to behave in certain kinds of way if you are racialized white because of the global history of white supremacy. But it honestly is such a low bar to set for yourself in terms of what counts as being an ally in the fight for racial justice that it is pathetic to think that it is an achievement to sit in a circle or to write on Facebook that you are aware of your racial privileges that you did not earn, but which 
accrue to you simply because of the contingent history of white supremacy. And yes, I am being glib about acknowledging your white privilege because there is an entire, an entire, I would say, almost business case that has been made for getting white people to only do that. And then the world continues unreformed, undisrupted in terms of the economic, political and social advantages that white people continue to enjoy long after uttering the words, I enjoy white privilege. And that is why I think we need to reset what the appropriate standards are for allyship. If you're a white person listening to me right now, it is not sufficient to acknowledge that you are a beneficiary of anti-black racism because it is obvious that you are. And frankly, I can't believe that we even need to have a conversation to convince you that you are. The starting point of a meaningful, practical conversation is what are we going to do to eliminate the consequences of anti-black racism and white supremacy from the world? It is that question that you should try and answer with fellow white people in a circle and begin to take the steps necessary to correct for the historical injustices. And that leads me to the next thought that I want to leave you with. Who should do this work and who should think about what the content of such a program of action looks like? Give your black friends a break, man. You know, I was listening to a podcast today in which a couple of men were asking irritating pseudo-profound question of a woman guest on their podcast platform to explain feminism to them and to explain to them why it's problematic for them as men to say certain kinds of things when they are engaging women guests on their platform or when they speak about women in general. And I was saying to my partner, firstly, I don't believe they're ignorant. They're just being insincere. They are two very intelligent men who are faking being dumb because if you pretend to be ignorant successfully, then you can appeal to people to give you discount for your ignorance because after all, if you're ignorant, then so the hope goes, you can't be fully responsible for making, quote-unquote, the wrong moves in conversation. But that's complete and utter bullshit. You do know better, you ought to know better, and especially if you are middle class or have access to resources, as those two men have, then you have a positive obligation to go and search for the answers without calling women and asking them to do the heavy lifting on your behalf. I mean, it's bad enough that we oppress women. We can't add to that oppression by asking them what we should do to stop oppressing them. Just listen to yourself when you are asking women to explain to you how to stop being a violent patriarch. If you are capable of thinking about ways in which to oppress women, then you have the necessary IQ to also stop that behavior and reversing the consequences of that behavior. And that analogy carries through to racism. 
there's really no need to keep on burdening your white, your black colleagues at work as a white person to help you understand what to do to try and improve the workspace, for example, to be a place that is less institutionally racist towards black people. If you can recognize that you are an unjust beneficiary of anti-black racism, if you know it in both small and big ways, then you have sufficient brain matter to be able to figure out what that pathway toward racial justice looks like. I could cash out that answer. We could bring on two or three experts onto this podcast platform and we can script for you what the solution space should look like in your friendships, in the workplace, in the public sphere, sphere as you are going about your daily business. But from an emotional and intellectual point of view, I want to push back against this default reliance on the victims and survivors of white supremacy to also be the ones that have the disproportionate amount of work they need to do to try and get us all to a place where the humanity of black and white people are fully restored. Because racism also undermines and undercuts the humanity of the children of hegemony. But it's really, really, really annoying to have to be the permanent, quote-unquote, experts on racism, diversity, transformation as black interlocutors in this conversation. And so my challenge to you, to you is a couple of things by way of some mating. Firstly, challenge yourself to not only acknowledge your privilege, but to recognize that acknowledging your privilege is such a low bar, you don't deserve brownie points for stating the obvious. Secondly, challenge yourself to sit with other white people and to answer the question, what are we going to do with our self-knowledge that we are unjust beneficiaries of anti-black racism? And lastly, related to that second question, challenge yourself to not dial a black friend to tell you what to do. Figure out what to do to stop anti-black racism and white supremacy's remnants in the world without relying on your black friend as a quote-unquote race expert. We are all experts on racism because we are relationally implicated in racism by the definition of racism. If racism is about how groups relate to one another, then it cannot be the case that only one group is literate on the meaning of racism. It takes two to tango, and therefore all of us who are implicated in racist relations have the material experientially with which to begin to undo that legacy. And I think it's high time that white people the world over should do the heavy lifting without dialing a black friend. <laughs>